0: So we're on a, um, in a series, <clears throat> and this series is asking really a question, and that question is, what if I had, what if I could have perfect faith in God? What if I could have this, this, kind, of, um, this kind of faith that lasts no matter what happens? What if I could be a person that's absolutely confident, absolutely confident that God is with me, that God, no matter what happens, the highs, the lows, that I that I have this confidence that whatever comes my way, no matter what it is, good or bad, high or low, that whatever comes my way is part of a divine plan, is part of God's plan, and that and that. Ultimately, as I engage in life and I have this confidence, this trust in God, I will maybe someday, hopefully sooner rather than later, see how these ups and these downs and all of these things fit into God's plan. See how it all fits together. Imagine if you had extreme confidence and faith in God, what would happen to your stress level? If you had extreme confidence and faith in God, what would happen to the amount of fear that you feel about today or tomorrow or the tomorrows to come? What if you were confident that no matter what, God really had your very best interest in mind? And in his word, God has given us this amazing opportunity to see his laws his principles, and everything about how we can honor him in our lives. He's given us those things. What if you believe those things were found in the scriptures? What if we live with confidence that God was working in us? That that God throughout time was working for us? And that God in his wisdom works through us? If we really believed and were confident and trusted in God and said, God, I believe that you have a plan that is bigger than mine. You have a purpose that is bigger than mine. And I am confident, God, that you are working in me and for me and through me. Would your responses to the things that you encountered be different? Would that stress at work hit just a little bit Different? Would a job loss where you're not sure if you're in where your income's going to come from next? Would you feel possibly a little less fear when that sickness comes and it changes the way you thought your future would look? When your problems begin, how many of us, when our problems begin, We just stop trusting God. But here's what I think about Christianity. I think Christianity is an opportunity. It's an invitation for us to begin trusting God again. It's it's an invitation that God said, listen, there's this opportunity for you to reestablish a relationship, to enter into a relationship. There's no longer a divide between you and me. God says, through Christ... You can re-enter into a relationship with me. So we began two weeks ago. We were talking about five things. Now, there's probably way more than five things that God uses to help us grow in our faith. But five things is about all that we can hold on to for a sermon series. That's a joke. There are five things that God uses to to grow us in our faith. And these are just from observation. These are from things over the course of life through talking with people, through reading the scripture and all of those things. There are five things. The first one that we talked about two weeks ago was practical teaching, that we need to be involved in a body. We need to be involved in a church, in a group that has practical teaching, that we go into the scripture and we read the scripture and we learn how to apply it practically in our life, that it's no longer just a lofty idea, but instead it's something that grows feet and walks and transforms us in our own lives. Practical teaching that I can apply today doesn't just feel like an empty promise. Last week we talked about private disciplines, and we focused on two of our private disciplines. And some of you thought, I wish he would have picked two different ones. If you, la- if you were here last week or you missed last week or you stopped listening last week, I want to encourage you to go back and watch it. I want you to go back on Facebook, on YouTube, and I want you to engage and listen to what we talked about last week in talking about bringing these private disciplines Because those private disciplines are necessary to grow our faith. And the bottom line from last week, if you're like, I'm not going to go do that. The bottom line is our faith grows when we give God, when we give God the first of our time and our money. So we kind of gave it this kind of a sentence. Give God your first minutes and your first dollars. Give to God on the front end of your day. Give to God the very first moments of your day. And you're like, listen, I'm not my best in the morning. I get it. But give God the very beginning. Give God the very front end of your day. Give him your time. Because here's the thing. We all know this about time. Sometimes we have good intentions, but poor follow through. So if we give God our first If we give God our first, what's going to happen? We're going to give him the very best of what we can give. uh, The other part is this, give God the the first of our money. Now, you might think, well, that's just what I expect a church to talk about, right? Churches just need money to kind of line the coffers. That's not the case here. What we're talking about is there's something bigger at play, If we don't learn how to give God the very first of what he has given us, if we we don't believe that God owns the world and everything in it and that everything that we receive, even though we work X number of hours a day, if we don't give God the very first of what he gives us to live, we find that we then begin to live for the things that we get. And so God said, listen, if you'll give me the very first of what you receive... We will ensure that those things that you receive don't have a hold on you. Those things that that we receive, the money, the the resources, and all of that. God says, listen, uh, Jesus told us that you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. You'll love one and despise the other. If we learn how to give God the very first of what we've been given, and I'm not talking about tipping God. I'm not talking about if I have a few dollars when the offering plate goes by, I'm going to drop it in. What I'm talking about is a percentage. Learn to be a percentage giver, a systematic percentage giver. You get paid once a month, give once a month. You get paid twice a month, give twice a month. You Get some unexpected money. Give a percentage of it. We're not saying, hey, anytime that you get it, it all belongs to God. Just take it all, uh, and you're going to live over in some area that you don't want to live in. What we're saying is give a percent. Because when you give a percent, you say, I will not be controlled by the money that comes into my bank account. If, you, if 10% sounds too high, start with one, two, three, whatever it is. But when we read the scriptures, what I find is this. When Jesus was asked about it, 10% seemed to be the bare minimum. But as we learn how to dis- live in discipline with our time and with our money, it beca- that discipline then becomes a Lifestyle. We find that it's something that we just expect that we do and we engage in a, in a lifestyle that's prayerful and thoughtful, that gives God the very first of what we, what we have. And then that lifestyle becomes joyful living. It's one of those things that we think, you know what, I can't even imagine my life without that being a part of it. And these are the things that God uses to grow our faith. They're the things that we know we can't make more time and we wish we could make more money. And those are the things that hold on to us so much. But if we learn to give those things to God, something amazing happens. It becomes a joy. And our life is more full because of it. And it grows us in our relationship with God. Our faith benefits from it. So today, what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about providential relationships. And in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about pivotal circumstances. And we'll also talk about personal ministry. But today, we're going to be talking about providential relationships. Because here's what we know. No matter who you are, no matter where you are on your faith journey, you kind of find that when you get in a conversation, people start describing their journeys of faith. They start saying some things like, you know, um, I, I met this guy. I, I met this girl. And it's not like, hey, I met this guy, right? It's about, I met this guy, and he started talking to me or she started talking to me about some very, Big things, some struggles that maybe I was going through, certain questions that I had. This person, I met them, and immediately I knew that they were different. Well, for some, it's I had a professor or a teacher in college, and they were just completely different than my other experiences. And they started me, having me think about things that really mattered. Or for some, it's like, you know, my mom, she got remarried. And my stepdad, he began taking us to church. And yet for others, it's like I got invited into this group. And this group invited me in. And I, and I grew. And, and, and it was, for the first time, I felt like I belonged. Or I joined a team and it was just a different kind of team. Or, or I had a roommate in college and they made me look at things differently. Or my kids came back from camp and it changed our whole house. Or my next door neighbor, they invited me to a group. They invited me to church. And when you look back on it, you kind of reflect and you feel, like, you feel like God dropped these people into your life. You feel like he just just placed them there. Someone might say providentially. It's seemingly accidental, but it smacks of God's activity. These people were just dropped into your life, and it was unplanned. And I think that God uses all kinds of providential relationships to set in motion his plan for our lives and for their lives. And I think if you were to hear my story, my story would start with with this. Not, not actually this one, but because I was a kid. And, you know, kids break things and throw stuff away. But this ALF lunchbox. Yeah, I'm that old. I know. ALF lunchbox kindergarten so here, here's the thing now 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 Alf, uh Alf lunchbox no big deal you know a hundred kids had them well at least a couple anyway but this Alf lunchbox uh, in kindergarten you know you get your lunch you get it packed you know you take it in and you eat your lunch and then um and then you put all the trash back in the lunchbox because that's what you do i guess But I got home one day with my lunchbox, or what I thought was my lunchbox, only to open it, to throw away the trash that's inside, and realized I didn't eat anything that was in that box. And then I kind of looked on the inside, and while I was in kindergarten, I didn't know what it said, but my mom knew what it said. And it wasn't my name, I knew that much, and it wasn't our phone number. The name on the inside of that lunchbox, his name was Jeff. And my mom called Jeff's mom, and they talked about that we had different lunch boxes, so we made plans to swap them the next day, right? We weren't in the same class. And the thing about it was that, that Jeff, in that very moment, we've got a connection. And from that connection, it grew. We went through elementary school together, becoming the best of friends, doing all kinds of things together, enjoying opportunities to stay the night at one another's house, and, and just en- enjoying what it means to be a kid, right? And we, we had this great relationship. In that relationship, we went to middle school, and, and surprisingly, that relationship stuck through middle school. And in middle school, this is, this is really where it, it gets really interesting for me. Because in, in, in middle school, all of a sudden my family just fell apart. My family fell apart and I didn't know what to do. But Jeff, Jeff pointed me to Jesus. Now, my family... We went to church-ish, and I knew that because we prayed at Thanksgiving, and we prayed at Christmas, and we prayed at family reunions, and we would go occasionally, right? But Jeff pointed me to Jesus. This was in sixth grade. And he invited me into understanding what does it mean to pray to a God in the middle of your worst nightmare. And so Jeff, uh, he pointed me there. He supported me, encouraged me. His parents did the same. We moved away at the end of eighth grade. But then high school, God used a man named Steve Blaylock. Steve Blaylock was my Sunday school teacher. And Steve poured into my life. He encouraged us as boys. And how do you encourage boys? Well, you light things on fire and you cook meat. I think that's about the only way, right? Is that right, guys? Yeah? Okay, good. It hadn't changed. You light things on fire just as long as you don't burn the meat, I think is really how that goes. And so Steve invested and poured into us as young men, and, and he helped us to answer a few questions about what it meant to honor God with our lives, and as we kind of ignored what he said, too, right? But Steve, at the end of our high school uh, career, he gave us a pocket knife to remember our time together. And then later on in, in, in life, it was another Steve his name is Steve Coleman, and Steve Coleman was, was around. He's, he's one of my, my great friends, and, and he was there for my first time, full-time, first full-time youth ministry position. He helped me to understand what it looked like to love students and how to encourage them and how to help them grow in their faith and to not take myself so seriously. And then later, he used another Steve, Steve Lee. And Steve Lee came into my life at a point where I had been destroyed by ministry. I was hurt. And and ministry was unhealthy. And Steve came at the very right time. And he helped me to heal. He helped me to understand that God is greater than the people that make up the church sometimes. And that there is hope even when you don't feel like there is. But what I found out is this. Is that God continues to place the right people at the right time. God continues to place the right people at the right time. But I want us to understand this part of it too. If that positive side is true, then the opposite can be too. Because you may be in a spot where your life changed in college, but it wasn't for the good. You moved to college. You moved away from your family first time without that support. And you made a new friend. And those new friends, they helped you to abandon, to walk away from your faith. For some, it's that big move. You go from from being surrounded with people you know to a place that's foreign to you, and the first people that become your friends are the first people that start dragging you away and making you question the things that you knew. Or that new job helped you to adopt just a brand new lifestyle. And that lifestyle, it wasn't good. Because I know that faith can be destroyed as well as strengthened through the relationships that we have. I know this because I've experienced it. The defining moments of our lives, the defining moments of our lives often revolve around these relationships, good and bad. There are people that you feel God placed in your life. There are also people that if you were honest, and I, I really want you to be honest, especially with your children, that there are people that you wish you had never met. There are good and bad relationships in our lives. One thing that I know for certain is, is that God uses, God uses people to impact our lives. And what I really want us to, to kind of wrestle with right now is how do we leverage that? How do we leverage this understanding, this knowledge, knowing that the people that are around us, the relationships that we build, that they can be good or bad? So how do we leverage the good and minimize the bad? Because I think we should leverage these things. Not use people, but I'm talking about leveraging the relationships that you have. We need to learn to leverage healthy relationships. And those healthy relationships will in turn become our providential relationships in our lives. And they become those God-ordained, God-placed people. Because the truth is, some of the unhealthy ones, they're unavoidable. Because you will be forced to work with people who do not share your beliefs. You will be forced to work with people that do not share your values. And those people, those relationships, the people in proximity to you have the potential to damage your faith. You may think, well... Not me, I'm pretty strong. Are you sure about that? Because you're going to be forced to interact with people that serve as constant temptation, that serve as constant temptations to you morally. Are you sure that's wrong? How do you know? That, That forced you to deal with temptation ethically? Everybody does it. Everybody fudges the numbers every now and then. And these people, they represent the things of the people, the things that you should stay away from. And as a Christian, though, we should have relationships with them, right? Because that's what we're supposed to do. But I'm going to tell you only some of them. Because the truth be told, and you know this is true. Some of us are not mature enough to have certain relationships. We're not mature enough to have this type of person around us. We're not mature enough to be able to withstand the temptation that is going on in that area. We're not mature enough to influence them over them influencing us because they bring out the worst parts, the parts that we thought that we had moved on past. In other words, in our relationships, we need to be intentional because the gravitational pull of culture, the gravitational pull of everything that happens in our lives is most often down. It's not up. The, the pull of, 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 pe- of people and temptation and culture is always often pulling us down because here's the truth. Are you, I'm never really tempted to be good, honest, and kind. It's not a temptation for me. I don't find myself resisting forces of good. I don't find myself going, gosh, I just can't help doing good because I mean, I'm just around these people. I don't find myself resisting. The forces of good. A couple of the wisest people that I can think of, they put it this way. First one is going to come out of Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. It says this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. You guys did better than the first group. Let's try it again, though. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Wonderful. But the companion of fools will suffer. Okay. You guys are doing good. So this next one, though, it's an imperative with a promise and a warning. And it says this, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And here we are, we're like, okay, if I, want, if I walk with the wise, I become wise. If I walk with... Fools, I get hurt. Bad company ruins good morals. Granddad said, if you lay with the dogs, you're bound to get fleas. (laughs) And we think, yeah, I remember that. And that applies to you when you're in middle school and high school, right? Right? That's, that's just for when you're coming of age and trying to figure everything out. As long, and as long as we're in that spot where we feel like it only applies to kids and students, we live deceived. Because I know for certain that bad company has ruined marriages. I know that bad company has put many who struggle with alcoholism. It has pulled them back into a destructive cycle. I know that bad company has has invited people into an environment that then became a habit. Bad company. Bad company has planted a thought in someone's mind. That grew into a behavior. So in light of that, knowing that the people around us are so influential, we have got to be intentional. We've got to be intentional about pursuing the relationships that God has providentially brought our way. Those people that when you meet them, you go, you know what? I like them because they're going in a direction that I want to go. And if I were at the end of my life to look out and see that I'd become even a little bit like this person, I would be satisfied because I know that they are living a life that God blesses. When we think about the people that God puts in our lives, providentially, they're brought in there to strengthen and to preserve our faith. Well, how do we do that? How do we find these providential people? Because I think that's really the struggle, right? How do I know if somebody is good and somebody's going to lead me towards good things? And how do I know if somebody's bad? I hate using good or bad, but I mean, what else do you do, right? How do I, what do I do? How do I, how do I engage in that? And how do I kind of set my life up to have intentional relationships? Because I know there are some that I can't choose, but I want to think about the ones that I can so, I want to give you some pointers on how to find good relationships that can influence you for the good. First one is this: join a small group, participate in Bible study. Go back two weeks in the messages and understand that if we are in a place that we are learning from God's word and we are learning to apply it and grow in it, that we're in a good place, that we will encourage and spur one another along to become the people that God says, these are my people that do as I say because they hear my words and they put them in practice. I want you to learn that there's... There's so much richness found in community, getting in proximity with people, getting in a small group, in circles, getting in Bible study, spending that time, volunteering side by side, become a volunteer, volunteer on the food distributions. Those those people work hard and they enjoy one another as they do good things. Become part of buildings and grounds help continue to make this facility beautiful and functional, become part of a group. Students, one of the best places that you can find the right kind of relationship that are going, that are being pointed in the right direction is to come on Sunday mornings to small groups and come to Wednesday night thing in the middle of the week. You can pay me later. (laughs) But come to small groups. Be involved when the church meets. Go to camp. Do those things. Parents, get your kids here. Get them into midweek and get them in on Sunday mornings. You're like, well, Sunday mornings, it happens at 9. Okay, we have things for you too. Come. Be part. Be involved. Get your kids in midweek and on Sunday mornings. And on midweek, you're like, I don't want to just drop them off. Great. We don't want you to just drop them off. We have women's Bible studies. We have men's Bible study. There's opportunities for you to get involved and to be with other people going in the same direction. In other words, we have a place for you to grow. We have a place for you to grow. We have a Place for you to build relationships. We have a place for you to serve. Do you know where you're not likely to grow? Staying at home. When you have so many opportunities to grow in relationship and in your faith. If I were to encourage you in anything today, it would be don't stay home. Come. Be part of building relationships that are going going in the same direction. Place yourself where you will be exposed to the right people. Because I believe that's one way that God builds a great faith. As a student pastor, I would tell the students this all the time. Your friends determine the quality and direction of your life. Your friends determine the direction and the quality of your life. And this was true when we were 14. And it's just as true when you're 40. It's just as true as when you're 80. Right? Besides, you never know when a mixed-up lunchbox will change your life.